couple of weeks ago, I started a series of sermons on the pilgrim's journey. I said the journey with God, first of all, the first week, I talked about it being personal. The journey with God must start with you, your name on the line. It's got to be a personal, not an intellectual trip, a personal trip. Last week I talked about predestination and about how God's idea affects individuals for God's ideal. That is, he has pre-planted in you, predisposed you with certain gifts so that you could have a ministry of grace and compassion. So I talked about the personal, I talked about predestination. Today I want to talk about power. Because I believe that that which confines us is not our lack of ability, it's our lack of confidence. We are imprisoned by our fears. The great majority of people in this country and probably in this church are nagged by a feeling deep down inside that they don't have what it takes to be as much as they want to be. Our fear cuts our life off way before it's time. I was reading a book this week, uh, What You Say Is What You Get by Gossett. Louie gave it to me. And uh, it's a good book, Don Gossett. And in that book, there was a, uh, there was a, uh, a physician, I forget what the man's name was, who was talking about how we are enveloped by fears. And he said, he gave a certain percentage of drownings that they find these people and they do uh, an autopsy afterwards and find no water in their lungs. In other words, by their situation, they were so gripped with fear that they gave up their life before it was time. He said 20, only 20% of people who have died in connection with a snake bite have had enough venom in them actually to kill them. 80% of people who are bitten by snakes and die, die because of fear. Fear imprisons us. And I don't care whether you're a natural person, a carnal person, or a Christian, it still imprisons you. Now, if you're, carnal, if you're a carnal person, you're just a natural person, you just don't have much to go on. A carnal person without confidence really is a loser. Because, I mean, what can they do? Um, uh, it's kind of like the, the person who, who went to college and the first, uh, the first uh, semester took five subjects and he got his grades back and there were four Fs and a D. And, uh, and the, the uh, dean called him in and he said, What's the story here? You, you took five subjects, you flunked four of them, you got a D in the other one. He said, I can explain that one. He said, uh, what I think I did, and I, I certainly have learned from this, is I, is I just didn't concentrate enough on the, on the four that I flunked and spent entirely too much on the one that I got the D in. <laughs> hey, nah, listen, if you don't have confidence in your carnal, you're a loser. That's just, that's all there is to it. But even if you're a Christian, even if, if, if uh, uh, you know you're going to heaven when you die, even if you know you have gifts, 
even if you know you have a witness, even if you know you have a function and a father who will never leave you, you're still confined by a lack of confidence. Now, to some degree, we rather enjoy our lack of confidence because we use it as an excuse not to commit ourselves. Um, one time, somebody came around and asked Mark Twain for a donation to a certain worthy cause, and, uh, and uh, Mark Twain wrote her out a sizable check. And she received the check, and she thanked him for it, and she turned around, and she started to walk away. And uh, she stopped, and she turned around, went back, and said, Mr. Clemens, uh, you didn't sign this check. And Mark Twain says, oh, I prefer to give it anonymously. When we don't sign on the dotted line, this is my contribution. I give it. We aren't really given anything at all. We can praise God with all of our might, but if our name isn't there, if we don't do it with confidence, we have not had to take anything out of our storehouse to cooperate with him. So a lack of confidence might seem to be advantageous to us, but in the long run, it imprisons us. It makes us fearful creatures. And it becomes a spiral in which we are dragged down to the places God doesn't want us to be dragged down. Let me tell you something this morning. This is a message straight from God. God gave you the power to do everything you need to do in this world. If you have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you have the power residing in you right now. God would not give us gifts. He would not predispose us toward ministries, toward compassion, and not give us the power to fulfill it. Paul prayed for the Ephesians every day, and what did he pray? He prayed, I pray that you may know the calling to which he has called you and that the eyes of your heart, isn't that a beautiful phrase? The eyes of your heart, in other words, not only see it, but feel it. The eyes of your heart may know the immeasurable power in us who believe. He didn't say available to us. He didn't say that God wants to give us. He said in us. It's already there. It is already there. One time there was a father with three boys and they were playing in the same room that he was trying to take a nap. And there was a little contest going on here. It was a Saturday afternoon with a football game on. The father was determined he was going to take a nap, and the boys were determined that they were going to play loudly enough that the father would wake up and play with them. So the louder they got, the more he shut his eyes and was going to ignore it until one of the little boys came over and crawled up on his chest. He didn't move. He pretended like he was still asleep. The little boy reached down and pulled up an eyelid. <laughs> he still didn't flinch. 
he looked at the other boys and he said, well, I can tell you this much for sure. He's in there all right. <laughs> Let me tell you something about God and power and the Holy Spirit. I can tell you this much for sure. He's in there. He's in there all right. He is in every one of you, and there isn't anything that you have to do if you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ other than discover that, that the eyes of your heart know the immeasurable power of God that is in us who believe. That's all you got to do. And it has been there since he has made you a new creation. This is nothing new. You might have accepted the Lord a long time ago. But if you were made a new creation in Christ, it was at that moment that he made you totally new. Now, you might not have grown in that power, but it was available to you. That's who you were. That's who he made you. All things are possible, the Bible says. That's to us. That's who you are as a new creation, a powerful person. Beck and I, uh, one of our trips to Florida, went to Sarasota, and they have uh, uh, down there, uh, Sarasota was at one time the, the, uh, the or it might still be the, the uh, headquarters for Ringling Brothers Barnum & Bailey Circus. And they have the Ringling Mansion, or whatever, whatever the mansion, we took the tour, and it was really neat. I mean, I, Beck really gets off on that kind of stuff, and I do too, just to see how people lived, and we took the tour through the, through the uh, 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 circus museum. And I was absolutely fascinated that there was this one character who for years made his living by being shot out of a cannon. They called him the human cannonball. And I heard a story about him that one time after they shot this guy out of a cannon and he went all the way across the big circus tent and landed into a net. A reporter just couldn't, uh, you know, it was the first time he'd ever seen it. He wanted to get an interview with the guy. They rushed up to him. He rushed up to him and said, how long have you been a human cannonball? And the guy didn't even flinch. He looked at the reporter and said, ever since I was a BB. <laughs> ah, get all that story. It's a great story. That there was a baby. I love it. Let me tell it again. No. <laughs> See, it isn't a change in nature we're looking for. It's a change in maturity. You already are who God made you. You don't need to appropriate anything else. You have it inside you already. And it's a simple discovery and unleashing process for you. God made you a powerful person. He wants you to operate with confidence. Now let me just share with you a few ways that you can appropriate this power. First of all, agree with God. Amos 3.3 says, Can two walk together unless they be agreed? Agree with God. Don't believe your opinion of yourself. There's a little voice inside of you who will always ask for a higher authority. Don't believe anybody else's opinion about you. Agree with God. 
be able to affirm I am who God says I am. I have what God says I have. I can do what God says I can do. Agree with God. Who knows you better than God? Anybody? Do you know yourself better than God knows you? He knit you together in the womb. No one knows you better than God. And the Bible says in Christ we are a new creation. The Bible says he gives us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Agree with God. That's who I am. And the second thing I would have you do is be yourself. Be yourself. Now that sounds simple. But I know as soon as I say that, there are any number of people in this congregation who say to themselves, I'd rather be somebody else. I know somebody who I admire more than I admire me, and I would much rather imitate them than be myself. Again, we disagree with God when we do that. You see, because counterfeit power is that which imitates someone else. God made us the special kind of people that we needed to be for a special kind of reason. And changing to be somebody we're not is an absolute crime. God sees in you who he wants because he made you who he wanted you to be. Be yourself. There's this story about a chief justice soon after the Civil War ended who went to the South, Chief Justice Chase. And he was touring the South, and the Southerners still had a tremendous amount of resentment and antagonism. And, and he went to a Southern ball and met a Southern belle. And she was a beautiful creature, absolutely gorgeous. Uh, and, and, uh, but she was very true to the South's ideals. She was not about to go into the philosophy of joining the North and the South undergoing reconstruction to make them more inhabitable with the North and so on and so forth. So when he was introduced to this Southern Belle, she felt like she needed to make her sentiments known to him. So as she extended her hand, she says, Mr. Chase, I believe that you should know that you see before you a rebel that has not undergone Reconstruction. And he looked at her and he said, Madam, in your case, Reconstruction would be blasphemous. <laughs> be who you are. You're already beautiful. You're already beautiful. And you don't need to be reconstructed into somebody else. Reconstruction, in your case, would be blasphemous. And the third point is like unto it. Please God. Don't try to please people. Try to please God. Don't try to please people. 
Let me tell you something you already know, but you probably haven't thought about it in a while. If you're trying to please God, there is no way you can fail. If you're trying to please people, there's almost no way you can succeed. There will always be an area in which you fall short when you're trying to please people. But the simple act of trying to please God fulfills itself. The simple act of obedience is what God wants. And we need to please somebody other than ourselves. Sometimes we get so turned off with people's rejection and trying to feel, you know, feeling like failures when we're trying to please people that we just say, I'm not going to try and please people anymore. I'm just going to please myself. But you see, when we do that, we don't get the stretching that we know we need. We don't grow into the people that we know we could be. So please God. Don't try to please people. Fourthly, let the Holy Spirit loosen your life. Let him loose. The Bible says ye shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. When you received Christ, you received another gift. You receive the Holy Spirit that empowers you and enables you to do exactly what you need to do. And the reason that so many people are running around without proper energy or without proper fortitude is because they have not let the Holy Spirit loosen their lives. They've not let God work through them what they couldn't do by themselves. There's a little saying on my desk that I have taped to my desk, and if you've been in my office and, and looked around a little, you've probably read it. It asks me the same question every day. It asks me, what are you doing in your life that you could not do without the Holy Spirit? Let me ask you that. What are you doing in your life right now that you could not do without the Holy Spirit. Is there anything? And if there is not anything, is it any wonder why God hasn't shown his power in your life? You've never asked for it. You've never needed it. You've never relied on it. God wants more than anything to be able to work through you in the ways that you can't work just by yourself. Let the Holy Spirit loose in your life and be competent and act confidently. People say, how do I know he's let loose in my life? Depend on it. Act on it and watch him. You watch what he does. How do I know? You'll know. You'll not know until afterwards. That's how God works. You'll not know until you have depended upon him, but you will know. One more thing. I want you to celebrate. I just want you to celebrate. There are things happening in your life right now that are good, that are neat, and I just want you to feel good about them. We have this mentality of, I've got to improve whatever isn't going right. We need to develop a mentality of, I've got to celebrate whatever is going right. I've got to capitalize on the things that I have done right, that I have said right. 
I've got to be able to celebrate the fact that I have done a few things pretty good. Because you see, that compounds itself. That's not conceit. That's reality. And it helps you to get enthusiastic about doing more things with confidence. Celebrate the things in your life that you've done. They don't have to be a record. There's, there's, there's a, a story about a gal who, have you heard a song on a, a, a radio, uh, Blue Eyes? Blue Eyes, baby's got blue eyes. Do you recognize it? <laughs> of course not. <laughs> Really a neat song, you know. She wanted it. She wanted to buy it uh, uh, from a record store, so she was calling around, and she tried to call a record, record store, misdialed. And a fellow said, "Hello," and she said, "Have you got blue eyes?" <laughs> and uh, he thought she was trying to make a pass at him. He said, "Madam, I have four sets of twins." She said, "Is that a record?" <laughs> he said, "I don't know if it's a record, but I haven't seen anybody that's done any better." <laughs> <laughs> don't go for record celebrate the things in your life that you've done that are good and worthy and true and ask God for the power to live in celebration